All right, let's pray. Our God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for communicating your word to us. Um, your communication that shows that you love us and that you care for us and that you wanted us to see the things that you were doing and to know you and to, uh, to learn and to understand you. So we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, for um, your spirit in this time and that through your word and your spirit that you would uh, that you would teach us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well. I think the lighting was, these two lights here were on. These ones here? Yeah. So that's a black light, but I'm not sure. I think that's the closet light in there. I'm not sure how to turn those on. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. That, that's right. So, um, well, I haven't been here the last two weeks, so somebody, somebody tell me where we are. No, I'm kidding. We're, we're good. Exodus. We're good. We're, we're in Exodus uh, chapter 2. So last week when we finished Exodus 1, um, Exodus 1 is really a, a bleak chapter uh, in the Bible. Um, I think, I mean, the way that it ends there, you know, we, we could, we, we talk about people being types of, you know, types of Christ or things like that. I think, you know, we could say that, um, uh, Pharaoh maybe is a, a type of Hitler the other way around. Um, you know, put, putting the Hebrew people into slave labor and he's not satisfied with that. So, you know, he orders the midwives to, to murder the male babies as they're born, which they don't. They obey uh, because they fear God. And so uh, everything that Herod is doing, I'm mixing up Herod and Pharaoh. Everything that Pharaoh is doing um, is God is still blessing the Hebrew people, and they're still continuing to multiply. And so it's not working. And at the end of chapter one, of course, he orders, you know, take all of the male babies and, and throw them into the river, basically to create a, a mass genocide and to try to stop them from, uh, stop their population from growing and stop this perceived threat that Pharaoh has that the Hebrew people are, you know, they're staying separate. They're, uh, they're still a separate nation within a nation, sees them as a threat and wants to uh, wants to murder them. So this is a a scary, tragic place to enter this story as we start chapter 2. Um, it's a tragic time to be a Hebrew mother. If you can imagine this, you know, you're, you're a, a Hebrew mother and you find out you're pregnant. And, you know, you've got nine months of anxiety wondering, am I going to have a, a girl and a child that... that I'm allowed to, to, to keep, or am I going to have a boy, and is there going to be a knock on the door, and they're going to come and, and, and murder my child? So, you know, you, you have basically decision-making, right? Are we going to, we're going to wait this out? Should we flee? Should we do something? Should we try to hide our child? It's a, it's a terrible time to be a Hebrew mother. So we start chapter 2 here, in verse 1. A man from the household of Levi married a woman who was the descendant of Levi. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. So 
what, what's the first thing that we notice here? Levi. Levi. They're Levites, yeah. Uh, I don't think there's ever going to be any doubt about that. Uh, uh, mother and father, both of the household of Levi, and, and that's what we see as, as we go on with Moses' life, is that you know the, the, the priesthood clan is the Levites, um, Moses' brother Aaron, the first, uh, the first priest. So, so we're, we're establishing this here, that this is uh, going to be the family of Levi. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Uh-oh. Right? Um, this is the last time that this phrase is used in this formula. So in other places, we'll see throughout the, um, the five books, you'll see, you know, she bore him a son. This is the last place that we see this, this phrasing of, and she became pregnant, or she conceived and, and bore a son, or in, I'm using the NET, gave birth to a son. Um, may not mean anything, but if it does mean anything, it's probably because this is the last major character that we're being introduced to uh, in the line. This is Moses, the one who's, of course, you know, writing the books. Um, he's the one who the rest of the stories throughout the Pentateuch is going to be about. So in the past, we've seen, you know, became pregnant, gave birth to a son, and it would be uh, Isaac, it would be Jacob. You know. So now we come to this last one, and it's, uh, and it's Moses. We'll see this later in, in the chapter, when uh, Zipporah bears a son, and you have, bears a son, but you don't have that same formula. Conceived and bore a son. So maybe it doesn't mean anything, but if it does mean anything, I think it's pointing out that this is the last major character that we're going to see, and the rest of the story is going to be uh, his life. When she saw that he was a healthy child, again, I'm using the NET, when she saw that he was a healthy child, she hid him for three months. What does your translation say there for uh, healthy? Fine child. Beautiful and healthy. Fine child, beautiful and healthy. Anything else? Well, generally means he's going to live because there's been a lot of the infants dying. Sure, yeah. Um, but the word here, any, any guesses as to what the actual Hebrew word is here? Tov. Tov, Tov. yeah. Tov. So, so where have we heard that before? Tov. Tov. Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1-1. Right, throughout Genesis 1. Right, yep. Um, we'll see this later throughout the Old Testament as, as well. I think, uh, uh, if I remember right, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think we hear this about David. Um, that he was a tov. So there's, there's this idea here, not just that the baby is healthy, is, you know, a good-looking boy. I mean, I'm sure every mother who has a baby boy looks at, or any baby, but in this case, you know, in the circumstances here, looks at that baby and says, oh, that's a, that's a beautiful baby. I, I, I got to tell you this because it's, uh, it's funny, but when I was born, uh, my aunt says, that I was the ugliest baby she had ever seen. And so uh, she's, she's felt very free to tell me that. My aunt and I, of course, have a great relationship. But, uh, but as a mother, you would think they would look at the baby and think this is a beautiful Mothers baby. Mothers all think their babies are beautiful. That's right. Um, but I think in the, in the passage here, there, there may be something more to this. There may be something to uh, uh, 
whether it's it's some sort of favor that you know that that she looks on him with that favor that that causes her to act. If only Moses wrote this, we might have we might, we might be suspicious. But right. We know there's a supervising author also. So. Correct. Right. Yep. And so you know we don't know. Maybe Miriam thought he was an ugly baby, but for uh, for Moses's mother, she sees something special, and and she is going to take that risk. You know, we talked before. I mean. If you're a, if you're a mother, most mothers you you would think would do anything they could to save their child's life, uh, may give their life. Um, other mothers may you know, with, with the sort of horrible conditions that they're living in that we can't even imagine, um, may just shut off and say, no, I can't get attached. I can't get attached. They're they're going to murder my baby. This is really a, a, a terrible. Thing I don't know, you know, as we read through it, if we if we think enough about how awful the circumstances that they're living in are. Almost the opposite in, in well, not by law, but combination of law and custom in China, the girl babies. Right of of the forced abortions and, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Because they, they know beforehand whether or not it's going to be a boy or a girl. Right. But. She sees something and it spurs her on to act in faith. She hid him for three months. So this also tells you, you know, this wasn't a one time, uh, you know, like with, with Herod, okay, round up all the babies who are under two and kill them. This was an ongoing thing that lasted for a long time, this, this uh, tyranny and oppression and this order from the Pharaoh to kill the babies. So she hid him for three months, but when she was no longer able to hide him, she took a what? What does your, uh, your translation say? Wicker basket. An ark. An ark. What translation is that? Chest. Chest. New King James. New King James. Okay. So this is the word tibay, which is used here and in one other place, which would be? Jim, I was going to say, Jim, Jim uh, gave us a hint. Uh, Genesis 6, Genesis 6 through 8. So this is the same word as ark. She puts him in an ark. Now, your translation is going to say a, uh, a wicker basket or a papyrus basket because that's probably what the ark would have been made out of. And so the translators have taken that step and said, well, it was probably a basket. Um, why papyrus? Yeah, the ESV says bulrushes. Bulrushes, okay. Yeah, so it's it would basically be those those uh, uh, hard reeds along the Nile River. And daubed it with bitumen and pitch. Yep, which is basically two different kinds of tar. Sealing. To seal it, correct. Yep. So so why this material? Why not a, a wooden uh, container or something like that? Why do they assume that it would be papyrus or bulrushes? Papyrus was available. Easily available, right. Right, it was all around there, easily available. These are, you know, slaves living in the land. So the the translators assumed that this would be basically like a wicker basket, not like a, a wooden box. But the word used here is ark. So she's building something that she's going to put on the water, similar to Noah's ark, right, to save Moses, uh, to save Moses, and to preserve his life. So she take, took a papyrus basket or an ark for him, sealed it with bitumen and pitch. 
She put the child in it and set it among the reeds along the edge of the Nile. She's carrying out Pharaoh's order, right? She's, she's putting the child in the Nile. <laughs> so she puts, <laughs> she puts him uh, in the reeds along the edge of the Nile. So now we as the readers, I mean, you know, we, we got to be having a heart attack here, right? Can you imagine that? Putting your child into a basket, putting him in the river, can you imagine that? Well, I mean, it's bad enough, but it does say that it's in the reeds by the riverbank. So that would give a little bit of probably keeping it in place maybe. It could. It could, although, you know, I don't know if you would bathe in the reeds. I think you might find a spot that, you know. Um, but th that's kind of an interesting question for me, and I'm not sure what the answer is of... Did she go to a very populated place and put this ark in the water? I think the last thing that you would want would be a family member of Pharaoh coming down to the water and discovering your male baby safe in an ark, right? I, I would think that would be the last thing you would want. Um, unless, there was some other, unless there was some other guidance. Right. Yeah. Um, but what we know is she puts it in the water by the reeds. And uh, gosh, that's a scary thought, isn't it? To, to, <laughs> to put your baby, yeah, to put your baby in the water now. Hopefully, and, and I'll say this because we've, uh, so we have an alligator in our backyard. I don't know how much more, not in our backyard, but in the river behind us. I don't know how much more aggressive crocodiles are. But as long as the alligator isn't being fed by people, it's generally afraid of people. And this is a place where somewhere around here where people are going in and bathing and everything. So so I would hope that it wouldn't be as, as much of an issue, but you still have that risk, well, right? When we go on the next, we see that Miriam's there. So. Yes. Yep. So she'll fight off the crocodiles. She'll fight off the crocodiles, that's right. Or grab the baby out of the ark if the crocodile comes up. Keep your kids away from her. Maybe, I don't know. His sister stationed herself at a distance to find out what would happen to him. So there's, it's an interesting thing about the first part of this chapter is that there's a lot of characters that we find out, you know, names later. We find out who they are. Um, and in this portion of it, Moses doesn't focus on that. He doesn't say, hey, this is my sister Miriam. And it, it most likely was, I guess. He may have had other sisters that we don't know about. I'm going to say Miriam because that, I think that just uh, it, it makes it easier for me. But um, it's, his, it's his sister, and she's stationed there uh, at a distance to find out what would happen to him. We don't know how long she stayed there. No, right. Her. Yep. There, there's, no, there's no indication there of if she follows him down the Nile for, you know, miles uh, if she's if everything happens right then and there. So I think it happens right then and there. I don't think his sister had to travel very far. Yeah, we we don't know either way, really. So she's she's standing there and she's waiting to see what will happen. And uh, you know, we we have this moment, and we all know what's going to happen, right? I mean, the guy writing the book is Moses. Now, he hasn't given us the name of this baby yet, but we all kind of know what's going to happen. Um, it makes me think of, you know, when you're watching a, a, a
prequel to a movie series that you love and you see the character and maybe the character has a different name throughout the whole movie and then you hit that point where it's like, oh, it's him, you know, or oh, it's her and you realize, okay, this is this is what's going to happen. You kind of get goosebumps, you know. Um, Perhaps the very first readers didn't know Right, it, right. They, they, Moses might be keeping them in suspense, <laughs> which, which may be another reason why he doesn't say his mother and his sister's name. <laughs> um, okay, so, so we're watching the scene, and we have the baby in the ark and the reeds, and we don't know what's going to happen, and it's, it's very nerve-wracking. And then the worst possible thing, well, maybe second worst possible thing happens. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself by the Nile. While her attendants were walking alongside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds. She sent one of her attendants, took it, opened it. Right, we'll stop right there for a second. Just to build the suspense, right? So uh, the, the Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river, and she's there to bathe, and her attendants are there. They're, you know, they're not in the river. They're there to just make sure... She's safe. Nothing happens. Um, I think we probably need to correct some of our uh, uh, television image of the story of Moses and uh, some of the uh, 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 liberties that have been taken and everything. The Pharaoh's family was not, you know, your, your Western Civ 101 mother, father, two and a half kids. Uh, the pharaohs would generally have a harem of wives, and they had to make sure that they preserved their line. So they would have, you know, multiple children, multiple daughters. This daughter here, uh, if she adopted a son from the Hebrews, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but if she adopted a son from the Hebrews, it would not be a, uh, it, it would very likely be scandalous, but it would not be a crushing scandal of, oh my gosh, is the next Pharaoh going to be a Hebrew? You know, they, they, so, so we get this idea from when we watch some of, some of the movies, like the Prince of Egypt, of like, okay, there's Pharaoh, there's Moses, they're the two brothers, that's the family. You know, that's, that's not really the case here. Um, but she comes down, and, and she's in the river, and they find this ark, and they bring it to her, and they open it up, and it's a boy crying. And now we're like, oh my gosh. And she felt compassion for him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Better than a son of Pharaoh. Probably. Probably. But either way, she had compassion on this, this Hebrew baby. And... and Probably, I'm, I'm guessing here, because it doesn't exactly say, he's probably circumcised. Um, if not for some reason, then there's some other indication. But she can tell pretty easily that this is one of the Hebrew children. But she has compassion on him. So we've seen now, uh, and, and, and we've seen it through, through the women that Moses has highlighted so far in this book. We saw with the midwives, we saw their obedience to God uh, out, of, out of their, you know, they feared God and they obeyed. So we've seen their obedience. We've seen the faith of Moses' mother going through this, putting him in the ark and, and, and 
seeking to preserve his life. So now we see the compassion of Pharaoh's daughter. And, uh, and next up, uh, we see boldness. So then his sister, Miriam, the one standing in the reeds, uh, she comes up to Pharaoh's daughter, you know, to the, the princess, the daughter of the, the king of Egypt, um, goes up to her and says, shall I go get a nursing woman for you from the Hebrews that she may nurse the child for you? So Miriam has a suggestion. She comes up, hi there, princess. I was just hanging out in the reeds over there and happened to see your predicament. Can I find a Hebrew slave who's still nursing to help you out? I'm sure I could find one. And the answer is yes. Uh, <laughs> She's assuming that the princess is going to keep the child. Right. So, um, so one of the commentators, uh, Moiter, said in his commentary that he suggests that Miriam saw the compassion in the face of Pharaoh's daughter and figured that it would be okay. Or maybe she's trying to convince the princess to keep the child. <laughs> It'd be easier if she had a, a, a wet nurse to help her out to keep it. Right. Exactly. Yep. So, so there's a there's a need, and the need is met right away uh, by uh, happens to be by Moses. Uh, yeah, yeah, you mentioned uh, the women. In fact, this chapter, other than by implication, Moses's father and, and the Pharaoh and the baby, it's all the women. Right. In, in, and what's Moses's father's name? Dad. Dad. <laughs> Amram. When when do we find that out? We don't find that out for a while, right? A couple of chapters, right? So, yeah, so Moses is, is very apparently focusing on the characters and focusing on, on the women. Uh, Moses' dad was around. In fact, um, Hebrews 11 talks about Moses' parents, the two of them, in faith, protecting his life. But here he's focusing on his mother and his sister and the Pharaoh's daughter. And probably even the, the servants that went and fetched was the thing also. Right. And earlier on, of course, the midwives. <laughs> right. Yep. Uh, early on, a book about women. <laughs> right. Yep. Uh, so Pharaoh's daughter said to her, and, and you know, and I wonder too if Miriam, I mean, children see the world differently, right? We don't really know how old Miriam was, but maybe that was part of what uh, gave her the boldness to just walk up to the, oh. the, the you know, princess of Egypt and say, yeah. hey, by the way, I've got a, I've got a fix for you. But I think what you said, the word compassion, because if Miriam was in the raised office, that, that Pharaoh's daughter could have done one of two things. A, had compassion, or B, had not had compassion, throw the baby in the river. Right. Yeah, or or C brought the baby back to dad and said, "Hey, they've got a conspiracy going on here. <laughs> they're 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 doing something here." Um, so Pharaoh's daughter said to her, "Yes, do so." So the young girl went and got the child's mother. Can you imagine that? Uh, I, I wonder if Pharaoh's daughter was clever enough. She might have had suspicions. So so I was thinking about this, right, and. Uh, uh, you know, as as you know, we had adopted, and whether you're the the biological mom or the adopted mom, you know, from the moment that that baby is your baby, you're you're like, okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be with this child, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to spend 
all the time that I can, you know, with with this child. And so I would picture Pharaoh's daughter, and, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Maybe I should finish the next verse. Um, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child, and said to her, that would be Moses' mother, take this child, nurse him for me, and I will pay your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. So I... Uh, when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So this was an adoption. This was not just, okay, I've saved this child. Here you go. Have him back. Uh, nurse him and, and you know, be, be blessed and be well. This is, she's, she adopts Moses. And so I would picture the Pharaoh's daughter going and hanging out with Jochebed, Pharaoh's biological mother. And I've pure speculation, but I've got to think that they shared glances, you know, that, that there may have been some sort of understanding of, okay, I know what's going on at some point. <laughs> well, as the baby got older, if there was like, you know, is it back from that family similarity or familiar similarity? Well, as Moses gets older, he's, he, he knows his family. He goes back and he stays with them and he, mm -hmm. he's, uh, his, Miriam and Aaron are, are with him on all of you know his his yeah, journeys yeah. and everything. So he he knows that that's his biological family. You don't think his mother might have had something to do with it? I'm sure. I'm sure. For for Moses, it's not a, a mystery. You know, it's interesting to me the way they, this is written there. Go away and nurse him, and I will give you your wages. Took him and nursed him, and then when the baby grew, she brought him to the Pharaoh. So almost one could say that. So. The, mo the mother was nursing him all the time, and then after he'd done nursing, how long before a baby had done nursing for the mom? Back then, usually three to four years. Well, that's, see, that's my point. Could, yep. Are we talking a month? No, we're talking years. It's my baby, I just keep months. nursing as long as I could. <laughs> uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm not seeing what you're No, 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 I don't know. No. Never mind. Generally, it would have been about three to four years. Isaac, you, you commented on there being no names. The name, that's kind of a, seems to me like there's a hiding the ball. Now we get Moses. Yes. And he's yeah. named, surprisingly, by the Pharaoh's father. Yep. Yeah. Verse 10, so when the child uh, grew older... She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, because I drew him from the water. And so, um, so she names him, he's her son, the Pharaoh's uh, daughter's son, which means he probably received, uh, you know, education in Egypt, um, the customs and everything. We'll see later. He's identified a, as Egyptian by, at that time, strangers. Um, but this, this is, you know, Moses is kind of put into this place where he has access to the palace and gosh, if we were ever going to have a deliverer, this would be it right now, right? Okay, let's move on to verse 11. So in those days, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and observed their hard labor. So this word observed and this idea here is not just he was walking by and he was like, oh, those people are working hard, but that he's actually identifying with it. So he's observing it as in he's seeing, okay, this is my people and this is the things that they're going through. And he saw an Egyptian man attacking a Hebrew man, one of his own people. So, you know, you, you're, you're kind of wondering, well, what way is Moses going to go? Is he going to 
be Egyptian all the way and not care. No, he sees him attacking a Hebrew man, and it says one of his own people. So he's identifying with with the Hebrew person who's being attacked. So he looked this way and that, and saw no one was there, and then he attacked the Egyptian and concealed his body in the sand. So, does Moses know what he's doing is wrong? He shouldn't be doing that, killing this Egyptian. Does he know he's going to get himself in trouble? Yeah, he looks both ways and he hides the body. So, Moses may be uh, kind of an activist at heart, and already having this feeling of wanting to deliver his people, um, but he, he's, he still knows that uh, he broke the law. It, it, text does not say that he explicitly set out to kill the, the guy. No, it, uh, right. It, um, yeah, it says that he attacked the Egyptian, but, you know, you look both ways, you attack an Egyptian, you're covering this up, you know, yeah, yeah. No, he didn't have the right to it. I'm just saying that he, he may have thought he could just hit the guy, knock the guy out, and, and then make it all run off. I mean, possibly. I think uh, it doesn't explicitly say that he set out to kill him. Right, but I think you know. I think if you uh, get in a brawl, uh, you don't look both ways first. So I, I kind of feel like he was he was with the intention to. Uh, 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 stop this Egyptian and not have anybody know about it. He was probably a strong man too because when he went to the where the girls at the water at the water well, he ran off all the other Right, right, you know, you're getting, you're getting ahead, but right. Yep. He had some strength, I guess. In the, yep. in, the, in the book of Acts it says that he thought that the Hebrews would understand that he was their deliverer. Right. So he already thought that he was going to deliver the Hebrews. Right. Yep. Yeah. He's. He's. I mean. He. He's acting on behalf of this Hebrew person, and you know, and, and he may have thought, well, hey, this is this is going to look good for me with the, with the Hebrew people. So he goes out the next day. There were two Hebrew men fighting. So he said to the one who was in the wrong, "Why are you attacking your fellow Hebrew?" Uh, I think there's more to this question than just. What do you? Why are you guys fighting? What? Tell me what's going on. And you know, I, I I think that part of this is him saying, "Look, why are you guys fighting against each other? You know, why? Are, you, you're both Hebrew. Why are you attacking each other?" Right. And the man replied, "Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you planning to kill me like you did that Egyptian?" Then Moses was afraid, thinking, "Surely what I did has become known." So. Moses doesn't get quite the reception that he maybe thought he was going to. Uh, Instead, he receives not only this outright rejection, but finds out that, hey, you know, my trying to hide this uh, didn't go quite as planned, and everybody knows. In fact, Pharaoh does know. When Pharaoh heard about this, he sought to kill Moses. So Moses fled from Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian and settled by a certain well. We don't have a name of a well, the well or anything. It's just by a certain well. Um, I did uh, print out a map that's about as high-tech a handout as you'll ever get from me because it's actually in color. Um, but the map shows uh, basically where that, that journey of, of Moses as he's fleeing from Egypt and um, going to this uh, certain well in, uh, in Midian. That's a pretty good trip. Yeah. 
It is. Yep. And so, so what's happened? Our deliverer is gone, right? Now he's off in Midian. What's going on? Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and began to draw water and fill the troughs in order to water their father's flock. When some shepherds came and drove them away, Moses came up and defended them and watered their flock. So you have a priest of Midian, his seven daughters, and they come out. And basically they're trying to uh, just get water for their flocks. And as they're doing that, these shepherds come and drive them off. Maybe the shepherds are letting them do the work of filling these troughs and then coming in and chasing them away so that their flocks can get uh, watered first. Um, I, uh, I'm i going to read the next verse just to, to uh, ask this question too. So when they came home to their father, Roel, he asked, why have you come home so early today? So I, I kind of get this idea that this thing happens pretty often. Um, that they, they come out, they bring their flocks, they fill the troughs, the shepherds come and, you know, feed all of their flocks first, and then they have to come back and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and water theirs. But Moses comes and, you know, Moses, uh, I don't know if we would call it a, a, a deliverer complex at this point, but he comes in and he, he chases off the shepherds and he waters their flocks for them. So, uh, so Moses comes up and he, he does this and helps them. So they come home to their father, Roel. So we know Roel later on uh, throughout Exodus as who? Jethro. Jethro. Um, but it wasn't uncommon for people to have two different names, especially if one of those names had uh, significance. So, he's, yeah, he's also a priest of the year, so Jethro could be a title. A, a priest in Midian. Yeah, or Ruel could be a title. Uh, well, there's, according to Dr. Unger, um, there were four distinct people who had the name Ruel in, in, in the Old Testament. Uh, one was a son of Esau, one of the founders of the Edomites. Um, there was a captain of Gad, I believe, when the, the census is done in Numbers. And then there's just a four persons mentioned in Chronicles. Yeah. So that would seem to indicate Ruel definitely is a, is a name, to my mind, anyway. Yeah, and so um, it, it actually means friend, um, of friend of God. Yeah. That's the second man named in this chapter. Right, Moses Ooh. being the first. Yeah. Um, so friend of God, which is is interesting, and I'm not going to get too much into speculation or anything like that. Is but he but it's Melchizedek light, or um, um, uh, or is this some other, or is he a priest of some other? And, and yeah. And I, I think I think that is a, actually a fair question to ask, um, because we don't at this point have you know a Southern Baptist Church to identify with. You know we don't have um, uh, we don't even have a temple or a tabernacle or anything like that. We have mostly people doing whatever's right in their own eyes, and we have an example of Melchizedek, who was a priest of God who meets Abraham. Um, so it would be purely speculative to say, but we do know that at the very least, he's a priest and he considers himself a friend of God. So at the very least, he would be someone who believes that God, maybe God's whatever exists. Pretty, pretty, pretty generic, right? Yeah. So, 
Well, if he's not, if he's not a, 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 a reading ahead, uh, if he's not by at this point by chapter eighteen, when he hears all that God did for Israel, right, he becomes a follower of Yahweh, right, clearly. no doubt. At the end of his life, he. By the, or by the end of his life, I should say, he's a follower of Yahweh. And he's giving Moses uh, counsel. He's, he's oh, traveling yes. with them. Right. One of the best. I mean, you can hear like a, a leadership by Alexander or, or some other of those books. Of leadership by Jethro, one of the first. And right, right. Written uh, is, yeah. is advice on delegation is terrific. Right. So all we know at this point is that he's a priest. We don't know a priest of what is a his name is, you know, friend, friend of God. We don't know what God. We don't know anything like that. But that's what we know. And we know that he is a uh, kind and hospitable person. Because it goes on, they said an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. So they, they don't take any time to explain the story. Kind of makes me think, again, that this thing with the shepherds might be a regular thing. Uh, he rescued us from the shepherds. He actually drew our water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, where is he? Why in the world did you leave the man? I mean, this is a good guy here. Uh, go call him. Bring him here so he can eat a meal with us. most people in this portion of the world at that time were Semitic. So why wouldn't it be Yahweh? So... That again, that that's where it gets into a lot of speculation. We know that Abraham had, you know, family gods. We know that Jacob had family gods. Uh, you know, there, there's there's a lot of issues going on here where I would definitely not uh, dogmatically say that he was a you know follower of Yahweh. Um, I wouldn't dogmatically say there's no way that he wasn't a follower of a single, you know, uh, uh, God, creator, monotheistic cre creator, um, which at this point in, in the revelation of God was all that a lot of people would have had. And so, um, so I, I really wouldn't get into speculating too much either way. But we do know that in either sense, I mean, God connects him with the Hebrew people, and he knows, he, he comes to know Yahweh very more uh, 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 intimately and more of God's revealed self through uh, the travel of, travels of Israel. But for, for time, I'm going to leave it at, I, I wouldn't go any further than that. Um, so, so, Ruel, or I'll just say Jethro, because that's easier to say, uh, says to his daughters, where is he? Why, why'd you leave the man? Call him here so he can eat a meal with us. So, so there's, you know, there's uh, somewhat the, the idea of hospitality, of, you know, bring this person here. He, he should come and have a meal with us. I single daughters. Bring him home. <laughs> that, that could be a, uh, a big part of it, because, um, well, yeah. So Moses agreed to stay with the man, so he offers him a place to live. I picture before Moses was just kind of a, a you know hermit living by this well. You know, nobody really knew who he was. He's this Egyptian guy who, who moved in. Um, but Moses agrees to stay with him, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. 
When she bore a son, notice it's not that phrase, and then she conceived and bore him a son. When she bore a son, Moses named him Gershom, for he said, I've become a resident foreigner in a foreign land. Uh, your translation says, I've, I might say, I've, I've become an alien in a foreign land. And that's what that, that name Gershom means, is basically an alien there. Or the King James famous phrase, well, it's famous as some anyway, a stranger in a strange land. Stranger in a strange land, yep. Yeah. So he, he na names his son, you know, alien there, and uh, says, because I've become an alien. Unless you remember to put in Bible quote or something or other, you look up, look up stranger in a strange land, you're probably going to find there's a book by that title. Right, yep, yep. And, uh, so you have to remember Bible or Right, right, right. Bible verse that says, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, so he names his son Alien there because he's become an alien in a foreign land. And so really our uh, <clears throat> all of our hopes from the first half of the chapter are kind of dashed, right? Why would Moses ever go back to Egypt? Hmm. No, the, 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 by the well, uh, and he, he gets a wife. Um, so Isaac, through Abraham's servant gets uh, Rebecca, Jacob meets Rachel at a, at a well, yep. and Moses meets Zipporah at a well. It's, it's like a bar. It's the place to go, right? <laughs> so, you may not have ever known that, Oh, you're getting ahead. You're getting ahead. As of right now, why would he ever go back, right? He's got family. He's got land. He's got, you know, a... a an inheritance, right? I mean, we don't really hear about, uh, for now, any other, you know, uh, 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 competing interests there. They've got flocks. They've got everything they would ever need. If he goes back to Egypt, they're going to kill him, right? So, I mean, he's good to go. This, this, is, uh, this is tough right now for us as the readers because we're like, well, why'd you even tell us this story? What's, what's the point? You know, great. Good for Moses. I guess this is a story about how God delivered one person from the horrors of uh, of Egypt. Because you think about it, you know, they got married, they had a son, they don't even have to hide him. They have nothing to worry about, right? Great. Good job, God. You got one person out. <laughs> so then we come to the end of the chapter. During that long period of time, which probably would have been uh, maybe 36 years or so, because Moses is an adult now, somewhere in that range. Um, during that long period of time, the king of Egypt died, and the Israelites groaned because of the slave labor. They cried out, and their desperate cry because of their slave labor went up to God. God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the Israelites, and God understood. So something happens here. First, the Pharaoh dies. So, you know, that, that, that threat there is, uh, for Moses, is gone. That, that's been cleared out of the way. Then God hears their groaning. So first, they're crying out. They're crying out to God because of their slave labor. God hears them, and he remembers his covenant. So it's not like God forgot the covenant. The idea here isn't like... God's just going along, and then all of a sudden, 400 years later, you know, God hears something, and he's like, 
that's right, I have a covenant with them. The idea here is that now the time has come, now is the time that, that for, for God to fulfill this promise of the covenant. It's not that God forgot the covenant, it's that now is the time for him to f- fulfill his side of the covenant. If you remember going back to um, Genesis 15, when, when God is making a covenant with Abraham, uh, Lord tells him that uh, his offspring will be sojourners in a land that's not theirs, that they'll be servants afflicted for 400 years, but that God will judge the nation and they will come out with great possessions. So this remembering the covenant is, this is hap- happening on God's timeline. This is what God told them was going to happen. So he hears, he remembers, and, uh, you know, and, and we've we've seen throughout the uh, their slavery here. We've seen these, uh, you know, smaller miracles. We've seen uh, how they've been grown as a nation, how even under oppression, they continue to grow and they continue to um, uh, be, be blessed by God in the face of the worst that the fallen world has to offer them. And so we've seen that on kind of this small scale, but now we see God is about to move and to do something on a big scale. It says, he saw the Israelites and God understood. So this isn't like an understanding of like a, oh, okay, you know, I get it. I see what you're going through. I guess this is really bad. You know, it's, it's not that sort of understanding, but it's an understanding of, of, of full empathy, of, of knowing what they're going through. Not a momentary realizing, but of knowing what they're going through. God understands what they're going through, the pain that they're going through, the things that they're suffering. And it's not just a, a written law injustice of slavery is bad. They're going through this slavery and oppression, and that's bad, and so I need to do something. This understand is it's this actual understanding, and uh, uh, I, I, I don't want to say feeling their pain, but knowing their pain and, and, and knowing them and what they're going through. And knowing when he set up that covenant with Abraham that that was what was needed, right? He, he knew what it was going to be. It was part of the part of the plan. Yeah, it, um, it, it, it was. It might not be pleasant, but it was. It was needed. Right. So uh, I want to give an example of this this knowing this understanding psalm 31 7 uses the same word and it says i will be happy and rejoice in your faithfulness because you notice my pain and you are aware the same word of how distressed i am um i like uh hebrews four fifteen. it's a verse that you know uh, uh i like to cling through uh cling to um that talks about you know uh, jesus living here on earth as um, uh, as fully God and fully human. Um, and it says, For we do, do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. And so, you know, I like to cling to that verse because I like, I like the, knowing that Jesus knows what we go through and, and understands and I think this is the um, the, the Hebrews four fifteen of the Old Testament, or maybe Hebrews four fifteen is the uh, uh, Exodus two twenty five of the Old Test of the New Testament, um, since this came first. But this idea that God sees what they're going through and He understands, and this is the unchangeable God. This is the God who who you know 
here and now sees and understands. So that's what we know when we cry out to God, when we tell God the things that we're going through, the pains that we're experiencing, the, the, the troubles, the difficulties. We know that he's the God who sees and who doesn't just understand it's in on a legal paper of, well, okay, you have these things going wrong, and these things going right, or, or anything like that, but, but feels that and understands what we're going through. So that's the end of chapter two. Um, I'm over a little bit, so let's go ahead and pray. Our God, we thank you for being the God who, who sees, uh, for being the God who remembers, uh, the God who hears when we cry out. God, we thank you for understanding, for knowing what we're going through, for having a plan, for having um, your word, this uh, communication from you that we can read, that we can understand you and understand more about you and know that you're not a, um, uh, an, an, an uncaring God or, or a, a God who doesn't see but that you are the God who, who does see and who does care. We thank you for this, Lord. We love you. Um, we love you because you first loved us. Uh, what, what an amazing statement to, to even fathom. We thank you again for this time. Um, we, we pray as we uh, go into our service that you'd find our, um, our praise and our worship pleasing to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.